0: get it we are currently southbound on I-75 just south of Cleveland Tennessee north of Chattanooga and we are going to ICAST 2019 thank you so much for tuning in to John Craves Kayak Fishing here on Anchor FM I'm pretty excited It's 9 11 in the morning. The temperatures are already starting to get a little muggy. I just left Waffle House there in Cleveland, Tennessee. One of the three or four or five, maybe, that they have there. And I had breakfast with my son in law, Ryan. And uh, he always has some really fun stories to share. Ryan is also the owner of Workout Anytime, one of my sponsors, so big shout out to Workout Anytime, in Cleveland, Tennessee. I'm feeling good. I'm refreshed. I was getting a little tired. I took off about 2 o'clock a.m., and uh, my plan was to take off at 3.30, or wake up at 3.30 a.m., and then to take off around 4 a.m. And to hopefully arrive in Orlando, um, Taking into consideration uh, traffic uh, situations, the weather, possibly, uh, and then even uh, stop for fueling and uh, just uh, stretching a little bit. And even uh, taking into consideration, I might have to uh, crash out for about 45 minutes or an hour. Or so, hoping that I'd get down there about eight o'clock. I might even make it a little sooner than that, but uh, we are ahead of schedule in our uh, F-350 Vanilla Chew flight to Orlando, Florida, and ICAST to 2019. Super, super excited. I'll be meeting Austin Todd down there, who's the director of uh, social media there at American Tackle. I'll be meeting him 8 a.m. in the morning there at the front of uh, the convention center at Orange County. And uh, he will be giving me the pass, which gives me somewhat uh, of a uh, free range. And I'm going to roam around probably like a chicken with my head cut off. <laughs> they say it's quite overwhelming, and I'm sure it is. 680 vendors not necessarily vendors, but these are manufacturers like Rapala, Shimano, uh, Garmin, um, Anchor Pole. I mean, the list goes on. American Tackle will be there. Um, KBF is going to have a booth there. Jackson Kayaks, New Canoe, um, all of the kayak uh, manufacturers, I'm sure, are going to be down there. It'll be great to see the Wilderness System Um, booth. They say the Shimano's booth is like an acre big. Now there's almost 200,000 square feet of showroom floor space at ICAST in 2019. That's huge. That's like a dream come true. Some advice given to me in order to really see all of it and be able to really spend the time not get overwhelmed. It's a lot like New York City. Just spend your time looking up and like, wow. I'm gonna try not to look like a newbie. Or first time I'm acting like i know what I'm doing. But they say a key to doing that is figure out what kind of a fisherman you are. So this this is not like you can go buy a ticket to iCast. It's an invitation really only um, there's a lot of manufacturers there that obviously give their uh, employees and pro staff members, uh, field staff members, social media people like myself, uh, a pass to get in there. Then there's buyers that have their pass to get in there, but it's, you know, John Doe Public, unfortunately, just can't come up and spend 20 bucks for a ticket and get in there and walk around. It's a pretty exclusive show. And I'm about to find out how exclusive it is, so I'm really excited about that. Uh, and I'm, I'm not gonna take for granted the opportunity that's uh, given to me uh, by having the opportunity to get in here and see ICAST and witness all of it. Just the opportunity to meet Bill Dance would be really cool. I grew up on Bill Dance, and to have the opportunity to shake his hand maybe ask him a few questions. I mean, every time I go out and I do see the sun climbing up over the trees, it reminds me of uh, where the sun has just started to climb up over the treetops. And it's going to be a beautiful day that's plain to see. Welcome to Bill Dance Outdoors, America's most popular and longest running fishing TV show well I'm gonna go fishing with Bill Dance today that—that <laughs> oh. that is as much in my mind as Mayberry the song for the Andy Griffith show you know Oh, those two go together. That's for sure. Bill Dance and the Andy Griffith Show. But uh, I grew up watching Bill Dance and those, you know, old classic mid '70s Bassmaster classics, sponsored by Miller High Life. You got the time, we've got the beer. A lot of the very, very. You know Bill's show would run in a very particular formula and you would start out with that classic song and I love the geese. this is kind of done a little while back in production and the uh, the geese that are superimposed, the three or four geese that are superimposed and just kind of go across the screen is pretty funny. <laughs> And it gives that an old-school feel. But then it, it starts out, Bill's usually on the water. He's on the front of his boat, his, uh, his bass tracker. And he, he's, he'll spin around in his seat. and He has a rod, and he's tying on a lure. And he'll look up with some, like, almost Confucius like quotes that come out of him like if you're willing to take the time to tie on a lure then you should be willing to take the time to learn that lure (laughs) those quotes that came from him branded in my mind even though I didn't know what they really meant at the time but I remember him saying things like that So I hope that Bill dances down there. It'll be a great, great, uh, to see him. Cause I know he is getting up there in age, you know, and, uh, wow. What a really neat human being, the first superstar of fast fishing. And then of course, uh, Clay Dryer, I hope that he's down there. Clay Dryer for, uh. You know, the first thing that we would think, then you'd see somebody like Clay Dryer, who's a quadriplegic. It's like a—he's lost both of his legs, his, his uh, and his left arm, and his right arm goes down to the elbow. And I believe Clay was born like that. And uh, you know, we would think of. For first time you would see him, you'd go disability. That would definitely be a word that would, I'm sure, pop up in your head. But I bet you that's a word that never pops up in his head. I would be surprised if the guy even has a disabled parking tag on his rearview mirror. And this guy drives himself to the boat dock, gets his boat in the water, Gets out there, finds the fish, launches the lures, ties them on, has the ability to tie them on. I thought it was cool when you could take that big long maraschino cherry stem and tie that with your tongue. This guy has like a KVD crankbait in his face. And he's tying this thing on with only the assistance of his right arm that goes down to the elbow and he can tie that on with his tongue and then not probably way stronger than the one I can do with both of my hands that's an amazing human being right there and and I don't think disability would ever be in his way of thinking and uh, it really and it kicks you back a little bit, makes you think, wow, we are so fortunate, many, many of us. So I'm going to enjoy that 18-minute walk from uh, my hotel down to the convention center. I lucked out, ladies and gentlemen. When I first uh, looked up hotels.com, I, I noticed that the, the rates were out the roof around Orlando and around this time. And I booked these, this room, gosh, probably four weeks ago, three or four weeks ago. I've known about this trip for many months, and it's been a long many months waiting, but here it is. And um, the hotel is so close and on the same street, so hence the reason why I brought my X2 off-road Segway. If it's an 18-minute walk, it's a four-minute Ride on a Segway, and I'm sure there's other parts. Maybe later on the evening afterwards, that I'll be able to ride around. It. And the and the Segway is an excellent marketing tool as well. You certainly are the attention in the bar room when you show up on a not only a Segway but a off-road Segway, one that's got big ATV tires on it. It looks beefy, and uh, it, it's like the Defender 90 Land Rover of Segways. Kind of chubby and cheeky and it has a lean steer on it that you turn the thing with. And so as a marketing tool, tomorrow one of our main goals is to lobby for votes for the uh, Best of Show categories, uh, which will be held there. Uh, These are very new, innovative, pieces of fishing equipment, whether it's lures, lines, uh, in the case of American Tackle, the microwave guide system, which is uh, the winner of five awards uh, in the ICAST, and hoping for six and seven, possibly, but we got the microwave, microwave 12 and the microwave 20 um, guide systems that will be put in there, they're lighter, they, they've got a snag-proof framework uh, to them, the fly casting accessory uh, category these are amazingly light guides check them out if you are a rod builder then you already know about American Tackle but you can retrofit any one of your fly rods with these and you uh, will be absolutely super impressed the ability for this guide to control the line and to calm it down, that that line is whipping. I've got a lot of, it, it just looks like a big sound wave as it's coming through there. And as it goes into the first ring of that first guide, the key to the microwave guide system, it's taming down in order to go into that second one, which is also on the first guide. So you got two round, guides that that line goes through, and then that controls it tames it down for the rest of them, in which gives you efficiency, it gives you a casting distance, it doesn't wear you out, it, it gives you incredible accuracy. Uh, once you start knowing your equipment, and you start feeling your equipment, the microwave guide system is something that you can put on there to absolutely accent it and it will blow your mind one of the uh, uh, first things I did to probably improve one of the biggest things I did to improve my road cycling to improve my speed my efficiency was to put the clipless pedals onto my bike before that, I'm, now I'm going back to the late 1900s because I'm 55 years old. This is when we had the leather cages and you would reach down and you'd grab the leather cage and you'd strap that down on your riding shoe. If you had one, if you had a hard, sole, firm riding shoe that wouldn't allow your foot to break and that arc to stay nice and solid and give you that efficiency in your pedal strokes. But with the cage, you were able to lift up also with your pedal stroke, so it gives your, you have a big leg there, and your leg is pushing down and it's pulling up, it's pushing down, you got your quad pushing down, your hamstring pulling up. To replace the cage with the actual clipless pedal, where there was no cage, was one of the best things I ever did to improve my road cycling performance that is really the same thing that you can do to your rod by replacing your guides with the microwave guide system that's kind of an equivalent there and hopefully you stayed with me in what i was trying to describe but if you do that to your rod it just absolutely improves it like no other thing that you can do to it so check that out the microwave guide system and you can go on American AmericanTackleAnglerProducts.com. If you're interested yourself into uh, uh, representing American Tackle, they're always looking for active um, pro staff members and field staff members. People that are, if you're active in social media and you like to get out there and catch fish and write about it and talk about it, uh, maybe you have a podcast yourself or maybe you want to start one up. Uh, go to American com and on the back there they have a pro staff entry uh, read, like a form that you can fill out it's an application and fill that out and that's addressed to Austin Todd there he's in charge of the social media and uh, tell them John Graves Kayak Fishing sent you on Anchor FM that certainly helps me out and getting the word to them that hey the word about American Tackles is getting out there Things are going really good for uh, our team up in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio and around the Michigan, Ohio. I'm very proud of my American Tackle uh, team members, uh, Jason Ricketts, Brad Hicks, and uh, Zach Corral. Uh, soon, I hope, that uh, Dawson Thompson, good friend of mine who I invited out uh, just this past weekend, to, uh, participate in his first, uh, kayak bass fishing tournament. Uh, he's an excellent fisherman, bass fisherman. Uh, Dawson and myself had been, uh, uh, co-co-anglers for, uh, Lane Bull Outdoors and, uh, on the back of Lane Bull's boats. And, uh, both Dawson and myself had been out and then we had been on fishing trips together so I knew the kid could really catch some fish but a lot like other people and myself uh, not long ago I thought that I just would not be able to put twenty to $30,000 together for a bass boat and uh, so when I ultimately found Kayak Bass Fishing it absolutely made all the sense to me and uh, I can certainly afford a $3,000 kayak uh, to get me going in the right direction of competitive bass fishing. So I want to introduce the the sport to as many people as I can. And so uh, I thought about Dawson. It was a team tournament, first team tournament I ever been in. Not often do you see team tournaments does normally there's only one guy per kayak, but it was a a cumulative event between both of the anglers, taking the top eight, top ten bass from uh, uh, both of them. And uh, he was crushing it. Got out there on the Hobie Pro Angler 14, the Kurt Smith Special Edition. Got out onto uh, that particular body of water lake count, which he had never been before, and he figured out the pattern really quick, and soon jumped up into the top fifth place, held first place for a while out of about 41 anglers, I believe, and uh, I was uh, not doing too bad, I lost a fish there at the side of the kayak, and then happened, my rhythm for some reason wasn't right, I should have paid a little bit more attention to that because eventually what happened was um, really being impaired by the heat and uh, some dehydration possibly but sun exposure knocked me out. It was a 16 hour tournament, started at 6am, I woke up at 4, we raced up there, I, I was spending a lot of time and energy and mental energy and physical energy making sure he was comfortable and set. And uh, that, in hindsight, I can look back on and go, wow, I did spend a lot of time and energy on that, probably a little bit more than I should, Uh, but I just wanted to make sure that he was going to have a great tournament his first go around. And uh, we both head out to about basically the same spots. I have a couple points across from the dock that I like to hit first thing in the morning. And... uh, I felt just a little off rhythm at this time, it quickly got hot. Uh, I like to get that rhythm going, hit those banks, whatever I'm doing just make a, get a fine rhythm and, and I just couldn't find it and uh, this is going back to my ultra marathon running and cycling days, very important to find that early morning rhythm and to fo- just not necessarily focus too hard but to allow yourself not to focus and just go into a cruise control with your rhythm. I had a hard time doing that with my casting. Getting snagged up a lot, didn't feel good, had kind of a little headache on the back of my head already, but, you know, happy to be there. And then around 11 o'clock, it's really started to get hot, had to work a little bit more, the wind coming through on those points. Dawson had taken off, looked for other parts. And uh, again, he had never been there They have sailboat races on Cowan Lake during the middle of the day, around noon till around 3 or so. And there's usually anywhere from 20 to possibly 40, 50 sailboats out there. Little ones, big ones. And then little juvenile-type sailboats where kids learn how to, to sail. Pretty impressive to look at, but it's absolutely the gauntlet when you're running through there on a kayak. The only thing I can compare it to is, like, releasing a domestic hamster in the middle of Times Square and just saying, go for it. You know, a bow to be tacking, you're thinking, okay, I got this one, and then he tacks back the other way, and you're like, oh, boy, he's coming right at me, and he tacks back the other way. Meanwhile, another one's coming from the other side. I mean, it's chaos, so. Dawson had called me, and I noticed that he was on the tournament board doing really well, like, in second place at the moment. He said, man, you need to get over here because this uh, I found out a formula and these, these fish are just eating everything. I said, where are you at? He said, I'm over by the island, man. Get here. It's, you know, where the island's at. And I said, oh yeah, but unfortunately the island was about a mile away. He said, island, get over here. And then that was like the last of his phone call. Okay. So I take off to the island, but instead of really cutting it straight to it like the, the, the bird would fly, I had to kind of outskirt this whole sailboating event. It took me roughly 25-30 minutes maybe to get to where he I thought he was at the island. And the island's only maybe two acres big. It's not a very big island. And I come around the island I said, where are you at? He said, I'm by the beach, man. I said, Where in the hell's the beach? I said, Give me something to look at. He said, I have a big green sail. And I, I'm like, I don't see no freaking green sail by the island. He goes, Well, not by the island. I said, What do you mean you're not by the island? You told me to come by the island. You're by the island. No, no. I, I was by the island about two hours ago. I'm like oh my god, I look back up the lake from where I came from and there's the green sail. Like a half mile back. So I put in about a mile and a half on that wilderness system, Helix Dry. And I was also getting a lot of you know hanging tight to that structure. Please folks, if you have the opportunity to take up your your line that's either snagged or you please don't toss it over. That is absolutely hell on a, I can imagine on, on your trolling motor, but especially on a helix pedal drive. Unbelievable. I, I spent 45 minutes also prior to that trying to get this stuff out. When I got the call for him, I didn't have all, So I still had probably 10 or 15 yards of line on that thing, so it felt like an uphill grind the whole time. And by the time I get to Dawson, who's just, he's calling his limit already a number of times. I'm spent. The sun has cooked me. I don't have any fluids left, in which I drank a lot of them. This reminds me right now to drink this fluid. Excuse me for a second. The good thing about the hot and humid weather that we've had in southwestern Ohio is that that's exactly what Orlando's weather is like right now, so at least I'll be in shape for the weather. A little public service announcement. Folks, make sure you hydrate out there. You hydrate or you die. And that's no joke. So I was getting a little lightheaded already on the way to Dawson. I get to Dawson, I'm spent. I know I need to get to some shade to chill out get to some shade, I'm dipping my my, uh, hoo-rag into the water and I'm putting that up on my back, dipping it down in the cool water and getting that up on the back of my neck and stuff, just trying to get my temperature down and I recover in about 10 minutes and I take off right back out into the lake and things just don't feel right I go to tie on a lure, and I'm looking at this knot, and I'm thinking, I don't know how to tie this knot. Now, my ultramarathon training, ultramarathon cycling, running, told me right there, my experience in that, of feeling this kind of like, wow, you know, I'm losing oxygen in my brain, man. This type of misjudgment, forgetting, that's a sure sign of you're getting close to a medical emergency. So at that point in time, I really just stopped and I said, Okay, this is getting serious. And I noticed I had a whopper plopper in my hand that I was trying to tie this knot to. Now, folks, I don't use a lot of whopper ploppers. I have a couple of them. But I, it was a big one, too. And I'm thinking, Why do I have this? And I look at this rod that I'm tying it onto, and I'm tying it onto a six pound monofilament that's on a four and a half foot finesse rod ultralight I mean it bends like a blade of grass and at that moment I believe is when I went you're in bad shape right now so I told Dawson that I'm going back to the dock I had about a half mile to get back to the dock I made it to the dock I don't necessarily remember loading my kayak up into the Vanilla Chew, but I do remember leaving evidence that somebody was very sick in the parking lot everywhere. So I apologize right now to the folks at Cowan Lake, but I felt bad. And I slept for about three hours in the Vanilla Chew, and then about 10 o'clock the tournament was over, picked Dawson up, and they're going to release the results in that tomorrow so that'll be exciting so you can check those out on uh, the Yak Legion podcast with Zach and uh, and Chris Anderson who's now the new co-host on Yak Legion podcast Chris a great guy and uh, Zach Corral those guys are going to be a lot of fun to listen to then uh, I believe they also uh, you can hear those on the Michigan, Ohio Paddle and Finn uh, podcast. Uh, and also on the Real Down uh, tournament uh, recap, which uh, myself, Crank Bay, Johnny, and uh, Brad the Sticks, Hicks, does every uh, Monday or so. So check uh, that out. We have a couple... Those podcasts that were just posted up had a great interview with uh Zach uh, Sorrell. I hope that's uh how I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Zach's been burning up, Uh, did really well in the KBF National Championship, did (laughs) extremely well in the Angler of the Year, and uh just kills it up there in Michigan, Ohio. Him and his wife, and uh, we had an interview with him. He's a Ned Rig man, Z man, you know, he goes to last tech a lot. So uh, that was a lot of fun. So check that out on Paddle and Finn's podcast. You can hear them all over the place. You can see that on Google. We had a little audio, a little reverberation, echoing uh, problems, but uh, that's how it goes sometimes in live production. It's a lot of fun. There we go. Atlanta State boys have a, somebody pulled over in cuffs there on the side of the road. Welcome to Georgia. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to John Graves Kayak Fishing here on Anchor FM. We we'll really appreciate it. an exit 172 southbound on 175, otherwise known as Bass Road, and that is a big old Bass Pro Shop back there that I just passed, i wonder if that's why they call it Bass Road. Where did Bass Pro Shop begin? That I don't know. For some reason I felt it was around Missouri. This was definitely a uh, area where people would travel and stop. There's an old golf cart track back there that looks kind of sad. You can see some evidence in the trees where high winds have ripped through here during a storm. This part of Macon, Bibb County, brings back some... Dreadful memories. I got shot here. Getting shot doesn't feel real well. That wasn't a crazy gunshot, not a big gunfight, nothing that you probably drawn up in your head. Not even really sure if that's what it was. I was riding a bicycle from Cincinnati, Ohio to Palm Beach, Florida. A friend of mine from the Butler family of Oak Brook, Illinois, Chicago was having a birthday party. At this time in my life I was training like crazy, Start, just starting to get addicted big time and training as much as I possibly can in the hopes to qualify for an event in which you ride a bicycle as fast as you can from the west coast to the east coast. It was the Ram Race Across America. It was a very grueling bicycle race, and for some reason I just enjoyed very grueling events. Don't ask me why. There was no money in it. But I was doing a lot of long distance running then, and the bike just felt like I could cover a little bit more distance and not have to work as hard to do that. At that time I took up a job as a bicycle courier downtown in Cincinnati, Ohio. So on any average day, I could cover anywhere from 60 to 110, 120 miles. And that was for work. I lived in Cherry Grove, which is about 18 miles east of Cincinnati. And it's literally as the crow would fly right up the river along 52 into Kellogg, which had no curb at that time. It was you and the cars, and cars did not like bicycles back then. This was the early 90s. So I was in pretty good shape. I thought that a multi-day solo event would be good for me. It would help me wrap my brain around what I really needed to do to compete in such an event like the Race Across America. Well there's a lot of things in hindsight that I should have paid attention to a little bit more back then. One was I was in an absolutely a bike that was not capable of doing what I needed it to do. It was a heavy bike, it was a steel frame bike, now I I love steel frame bikes, in fact I have one right now, it's a Richard Sachs custom steel frame bike, there's only one like it in the world, it's one I got. Each one of them individually made. it makes maybe 30 frames in a year, you have to get on a waiting list for a Richard Sachs. A frame can cost you anywhere from $4,000 to eight, nine, dollars $9,000, dollars But I was on a Lotus, which the whole bike itself cost me about two hundred and eighty-nine. dollars I have 12 speeds on it. Not the type of gears I need for the mountain ranges that I obviously wasn't paying attention to when they taught them to us in class. Now I had heard of the great Smoky Mountains, but I was unaware of the Jellicoe and the Cherokee. That lesson to me of the Appalachian Mountain Range was humbling. That beat me up pretty good. I would just sleep in maybe a small town park or I would find a church. I would sleep on maybe a picnic table underneath one of those shelters. I mean, who's going to kick you away from a church, you know? In fact, the first church that I stopped and I slept at just during the day, the heat of the day, was White Oak Mountain Church. A little small white church, I'll never forget it beautiful little thing just set up on the hill and they had a shady area. I thought, you know, it's a Wednesday. Nobody's going to come to church. I could probably catch a few seeds. I take all my sweaty clothes, socks, riding shorts, a couple of shirts. I lay them out in the sun to dry and I kick back on top of this picnic table when I go to sleep. I wake up to some noise, and I look up, and the whole world sideways. And I realize that there's about 25 people in front of the church all looking at me. I jump up pretty quick. Now everybody's straight and looking right. I rub my eyes. It must have been a god-awful sight. The pastor of the church walks over to me and he introduces himself. And he asked me where I'm traveling. I told him I was headed to Palm Beach, Florida. He had that look like, whew, wow, that's a long way. And he invited me to come in to the church in hindsight, now that I look back, and how I recognize life to be, and the, the rewards that you get, and the hidden treasures that the Creator, God, is presenting to us, I should have taken advantage of that and walked in there and spent some time, just 45 minutes of a Wednesday. Sermon. What what hurry was I in? I was racing off to Palm Beach, Florida, on a bicycle. I couldn't find the time to come in and spend time with this inviting, cute little church guy. God knows what I would have found in there. He knows. But if I was saying it, having no idea, God knows what I would have found in there. I declined the offer. I still feel kind of bad for that. I look back on it. They went inside the church, I packed up my stuff, and I head on down the long driveway. It's about maybe four or 500 meters long, gravel. And the lady stopped me. She pulled up into the drive and started coming up the hill, and she stopped me. She goes, where are you going? And I said, I'm heading to Palm Beach, Florida. She goes, I brought you some dinner. And she had been there earlier. She saw me sleeping. She didn't bother to wake me up. She opened up the church for everybody. And she raced home. Brought back to me a plateful of mashed potatoes, a corn pudding, a chicken, a couple biscuits, and two very cold Coca Cola's. She invited me in. I said, I can I gotta get going. She gave me the food. She drove up into the drive, into the church. And I sat there at the end of that church's drive. White Oak Mountain Baptist Church. Somewhere in the Jellicoe Mountains of Tennessee. Just as you get across the state line, if I recall. And uh, I chowed that food down. I destroyed it. So I crank on. I get on down the the road and uh, make it to Atlanta. I'm starting to feel the distance a little bit. I was way overloaded. I was in a bike that was not even should have been on the road doing something like that, a real bike that when you're doing a transcontinental run like that, a bike that's uh, built for an event like that, probably just its frame weight itself would have been a couple, three pounds less. And every pound makes up a big difference. You start putting on all that crappy gear the heavy fork, the gears in the back, the derailleur, the front derailleur, the rear derailleur, the reflectors, everything. The big heavy saddlebags, the cage that holds the saddlebag. All of that's so heavy, wobbly, not real tight. That makes up a big difference in your physical self. It wasn't until much, much later in my cycling life that I discovered what a real steel frame bike should feel like. Ironically, there goes a log truck down the street, haven't seen one of those in a while carrying those big long huge pines. So I hang out in Atlanta, Georgia for a couple nights, I should have kept going. The stop actually hurt me more, but I felt okay. Got back on the bike, anxious to ride, to cover some distance, because I really felt that Palm Beach wasn't that far away. I knew Florida was right around the corner. We had about 300 miles or so to go. Roughly, I didn't know. Now, you gotta remember something, man. This is early 90s, so there wasn't any smartphone. You had a trip tip. From AAA, you tell them where you were going, point A to point B, and they put together a triptych like index cards. You just flip through them on your dashboard. So I had my triptych from Cincinnati to Palm Beach. So right down below Atlanta, I've been following 75 southbound the whole way, and right around Atlanta, I took off toward the Eastern Seaboard. That road looks good. Let's head that way. This was before Google Earth, Google Map, before GPS technology that we had it. The Navy had it, the Air Force had it, but (laughs) NASA had it. But we certainly weren't carrying it around. GPS technology. You know, the stuff that we have in the smartphone right now was as much and as powerful as the information that we had communication, information we had in some of the great warships the United States Navy had way back when. It wasn't that long ago. So I didn't know exactly where I was. It got dark. That was a good time for me to ride, but it gets really dark in that part of Georgia. The pine trees are magnificent. And they Look like they're 150 feet tall, from left and right. They're just massive. They do a lot of different things with those pine trees, and you know, they probably make telephone poles out of them. Shave them down into sawdust, who knows. But they're very beautiful. Pine logs. Very surreal during the nighttime. You're traveling down a two-lane Georgia Blacktop Road. It's about 95 degrees outside and it's eleven o'clock at night. I have the uh, the cars and a cassette on a walkman. There's no digital thing I can listen to then, you know. I know it's hard to like, recall and think about that, but that was just not too long ago. I had a Walkman. I had four AA batteries in it. it so a Walkman, AM FM, leather station, cassette radio, big yellow thing. Very industrial looking. You drop it and it broke. But I had that, had a little cheap clip on it. Very hard to keep on your active body, you might say. I had it tucked down in a pannier bag behind me. candy I need you. Sunday dress, ruby red. Candio, I need you so. And I hear and feel, like, simultaneously, this... I got stung. The back of my calf got hit by something. It burned so bad and got hotter and hotter and hotter and in a panic within just a few feet my front tire goes down into the ditch and I do an endo. Now it's dark. That 6-volt lantern that I had, a 6-volt lantern, like the, the, the front of it, and those lantern flashlights we had with the big 6-volt battery. I had the 6-volt battery down in a bottle cage on the drop tube. I had the wires connected to the 6-volt battery going up the drop tube, taped up nice and neat, up onto my handlebars, and there I had taped was the light of that 6-volt lantern, and it shot a beam out forever, but the moment I hit that ditch, lights out, and it got dark. Whatever hit me, I even thought possibly bit me, was that a snake? because it's burning so bad. And I couldn't identify the wound. Couldn't get a good look at it because it was dark. My eyes started to focus a little bit, but I felt like I was laying in a muddy ditch. My right shoe was just getting, like, wet. Soppy like I had stepped in some mud. Now, I look at all the big mistakes I made. If you're ever packing for a transcontinental trip, a solo event where you have to depend on yourself, nobody else, there's no 911, there's no phone in your pocket, it's just you. One of the worst things that you can do is pack your first aid kit somewhere that you can't get to it really fast. This is where I learned that very, very costly lesson. In a panic, I pulled out what I had meticulously packed in my pannier. It's about 60 pounds of gear, which was way too much. That's like strapping a small child to a book rack. Let's go to Florida. <laughs> what was I thinking? Down at the bottom of my pannier bags is my first aid kit, my flashlight, my other flashlight, my handheld one. And so I'm just pulling out all of my stuff. Some of it, I don't even know if I recovered. It's scattered everywhere, and you know, once you pull all that stuff out, you can't repack it again. I took the light, and I held it down onto the wound, and I just recognized it as being open. I could see my calf muscle there, bright red, swollen from the ride, was just kind of splitting open like a pork chop oh. I panicked I didn't know what to do wrap this thing up I don't have time where am I what was that that just happened meanwhile my headphones were sitting over in the ditch and you hear oh the walkman it was still going I turned it off got quiet. I got back on the bike and I took off as fast as I could. Now, when you're spending that much time out on the road, just getting dehydrated, and I didn't know a whole lot about that stuff back then, but just getting dehydrated can make you go a little loopy, lightheaded, lose your physical strength, be really bad for you, and in some cases, cause you to die. I was probably already suffering a little bit from that already. Not to mention, I just trailed about two pints of blood down a two-lane Georgia blacktop road. I think he went that way. I wrecked the bike again, getting real lightheaded the front end. Went over into the, the ditch, and there I'm laying down in the ditch again. I thought, I better get off this road. There's no traffic. And I'm going to stand out like a sore thumb out here. I grabbed my bike, I pulled everything up into the pine trees, and went into the pine trees about 75 feet. I sat down, I started for some reason eating everything. I had a couple bananas, I had a power bar. I had some Gatorade. I just felt that I needed to get all this in me. I started to wrap up my leg. I used a lot of gauze, literally every bit of it I had stopped the bleeding somewhat. I got down in my sleeping bag. I can remember that the pine needles were extremely soft, it was dry, quite peaceful. One of those moments when you sit there and look, you know, it's a good day to die. But they'll never find me here, so it might not be the most convenient place. I spoke to Jesus that night, actually whoever was listening, I said, do me a favor, if you take me, because I bleed to death here, let me go while I'm sleeping. Let me get through the other side. I promise. I'm going to do what everybody else says. I'm going to really attempt to make this world a better place. I've got a lot to be thankful for, and I'm going to start paying attention to that. And I fell asleep. I woke up to the sound of a login truck about five fifteen in the morning. I'd been asleep for maybe a couple hours. Daylight allowed me to get a little bit more an idea of where I'm at. It was a town about eighteen miles away. I'm out here by myself. This is the best I can do. Let's cover 18 miles as fast as I can. Let's get to this town. There's still a lot of scary stuff that can go on between here and there. So I took off like a bat out of hell. The wound started to bleed a little bit more. I just kept at it. So I made it to what was a brand new hospital. Everything was brand new. I went right up into the back of it. Never saw the front. Parked the bike up on the, the wall there, next to an ambulance that was parked. And I walked inside the emergency room and there was nobody there. There were no nurses carrying clipboards. There was no doctors walking around rubber gloves on and looking at patients. There's nothing. Computers. There's microphones. There's part monitor. IV equipment. There's hospital beds. There were private rooms that could be drawn with a curtain. But there was nobody. Hello? 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 I need some help. Now I'm thinking about it right now. This is another lesson. If you just happen to get shot or even bit by some mysterious animal and you limp your way to a hospital. And that hospital looks like maybe a scene out of a Stephen King movie. Walking inside the hospital might be crazy enough, but what's even crazier is like screaming down the hall that you need some help. You're about to become a victim. hear a voice come around the corner hold on I'm coming I'm coming hold on and around the corner a lady dressed up as a nurse but in the garb of something out of like maybe 1950 she walked up What can I do for you? I said, I think I got hit by something. I don't know what it is, and it hurts. Come over here, sit down. Sit up on that bed right there. Kick back, take those shoes off. Let me remove this sock. Take this bandage off. Would you like some orange juice? Apple juice? Orange juice sounds great. She went and got me some orange juice and brought it back. And I just felt like, okay, I'm in a good spot, man. She's this is a good woman here. She's going to take care of me. I drank the orange juice. I don't know. Maybe she slipped a something in that one, but it knocked me out. And I woke up a while later, I don't know if it was 15 minutes or two hours, and there was a doctor, a big man, a really big man, who had big hands. And he was holding my leg, and he was stitching it. And I I jumped a little bit. No, that's never happened to me before, you know. I just wake up and this big man's holding my calf and muscle-putting stitches in it. So I kind of freaked a little bit. He said, oh, it's all good, man. I said, where are you from? I said, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. Now, I'm not really from Cincinnati, Ohio, but, you know, probably a lot like other places. You know, but the, the town that I'm in is not really known for anything. Uh, so... uh now when people say where you're from we just say Cincinnati but I'm actually from 18, 20 miles east of Cincinnati I grew up in a town called Cherry Grove so where are you going on that bicycle? I said heading to Palm Beach, Florida and he looked up at me Palm Beach, Florida? on your bicycle? I said yes sir He said, that's probably not a good ideal to keep riding your bike south here. And I said, why is that? He said, because it's bad country. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, there's a lot of bad stuff that goes on out there. This is probably a bullet. Now, when you have a doctor that's got a hold of your calf and he's putting some stitches in a wound that you really don't know what it is. And he recognizes it as possibly a bullet. Now it just grazed me, but it split me open. I was very lucky. He put 14 stitches in it. As he's tying off the last stitch, he said, so where are you going from here? And I said, I'm going to to keep heading south. And he tapped my leg a couple times and he looked me straight in the eyes and he said it would probably be a good ideal to go to the nearest Greyhound bus station and you and your bicycle go back home. Best advice I could give you. walked out signed a piece of paper at the bottom of the clipboard I walked out of the room and there was nobody there so I got on my bike and I took off I never got billed for that ever in my life don't even remember filling out paperwork. I got a couple miles down the road and there's a place to eat. A huddle house. I went in, grabbed a delicious waffle. It's 160 bucks in my pocket. Pulled out a couple bucks to tip the waitress. Probably sucked my front tooth. I do that when I'm really trying to make decisions. Especially after eating waffles. And I said, I'm going to keep going south because I'm not going to let no ass clown spoil my adventure. Quite possibly big could have been could have been the dumbest choice I've ever made. But it wasn't. In fact I met a very fine gentleman who picked me up about a maybe a hundred miles south. Saw that I was struggling, pretty slow about it. My leg was hurting pretty bad. There were no painkillers. It was a hard place to find any water that tasted really good because it all had a sulfur smell to it. This gentleman pulled up to me in a, in a Buick and he had two ice cold Gatorades and he gave them to me. He was very... Uh, he was a lot more educated on what the son, Georgia's son, could do to you than I was, obviously. And he gave me a ride down the road a few miles. Got out of the car and had a couple hundred more miles to go. Made it to Florida and into Gainesville, Florida. And there I couldn't ride anymore was too much for me. And I didn't want to do it, but I called up my friend and he drove all the way from Palm Beach, Florida. I didn't realize how far it was for him to drive, but he did, It's like five hours. He drove up there in a Cadillac Seville and he bought this Cadillac Seville Because a good friend of his, Mr. Ronald Reagan from California, was visiting him and he thought it would be fun to pick him up in this Cadillac Seville that was painted two tone gray. He had the California state flag on the left and the American flag on the right as Ronald Reagan was governor. Yeah, I know, I got some heavy friends, man. And he drove up in that car, believe it or not, all the way to Gainesville, Florida. And I tossed my bloody bicycle in the back seat, and I was never so glad to see my buddy. We drove south, made it back home. And you can imagine, at this birthday party, what and who everybody was talking about. Oh boy, was I the center of attention in that bar room.